0: The Explore Oregon podcast is brought to you by the Statesman Journal, newspaper of Salem in the state capitol since 1851. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. In this special edition, we're talking to Oregon Senator Ron Wyden, along with a host of others about newly protected wilderness areas and rivers in Oregon. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. Recently, the United States Congress passed one of the biggest pieces of public lands legislation in a decade. Here in Oregon, that means creation of the 30,000-acre Devil's Staircase Wilderness and protection of 250 miles of waterways under the Oregon Wildlands
1: Act. In this edition of the Explore Oregon podcast, we're going to talk about what the legislation means for our state. We'll travel to the Devil's Staircase, talk to the people who know it best. But before that, we'll get some background from Senator Wyden, who pushed the legislation across the finish line.
2: This public lands bill, is related to the Oregon provisions, almost blew up four or five times, yeah. and it was because of special interests.
0: All right, David, let's talk about the Oregon Wildlands Act. Now, we don't typically get into legislation and politics on this podcast, But this one's important enough, and it happens so rarely, that we wanted to talk about what it actually means.
1: Here's how this came to be. This February, Congress passed a package of 120 public lands bills that impact forests, mountains, and parks across the U.S. So, Zach, what does this mean for Oregon?
0: Sure. So, the biggest thing is that it creates the 30,000-acre Devil's Staircase Wilderness. So, it's a really remote patch of old-growth rainforest that surrounds this almost mythic waterfall in the Coast Range. Making it a wilderness means you can't log or build roads there, basically just tries to keep it as intact as possible. The other big thing is that it designates 250 miles of creeks and rivers under the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act. The goal, again, is protecting those rivers and creeks in their natural state.
1: Yeah, there are a few other things that it does, but we have some good guests lined up that'll sort of do a much better job of shedding light on what all this means. We're going to start off with a first for our podcast, an interview with Senator Wyden. Zach, how did we pull this off?
0: Yeah, I don't have any idea. (laughs) Um, I think so far our guests have been park rangers, raft guides, outdoor gearheads. So yeah, this is a pretty big moment for the Explore Oregon podcast, getting, you know, the dean of Oregon's uh, congressional delegation here. But in all seriousness, Wyden is a really interesting politician. I. I think even he would admit that he's not your sort of John Kitsopper type who wears cowboy boots and tries to position himself as like a a rugged outdoorsman. I don't think he's climbing Mount Hood on his days off. That said, he's really been the leading force on public lands, the environment, and conservation bills in Oregon for, you know, at least a decade, for quite a while. Every time there's a battle in Congress over protecting more land, he's always right there mixing it up, uh, often butting heads with Oregon's Republican Greg Walden. So we wanted to start off the podcast with a quick interview where I asked him about his backstory and the political sausage making that is involved in making a bill like this happen.
1: Make sure to stay with us because after Wyden, we'll have two guys who've been traveling to Devil's Staircase since the 70s. They talk about how the Devil's Staircase went from this really mythic waterfall to the namesake of the new wilderness and how people can maybe travel there with a little bit of effort.
0: A lot of effort. A lot of effort. All right, here's Senator Wyden to get us started. All right, so we're here with Oregon Senator Ron Wyden. Hi, Senator. Thanks so much for, for taking some time to, to talk about public lands today.
2: Thanks for having me, Zach, and I really appreciate the fact that
0: uh, that you all are focused on this. It's so important. I guess I just want to start off by going back just a little bit. Um, you've authored a lot of conservation bills, especially in recent history. And so my first question is, what was your inspiration? What made you say you know, environmental conservation is going to be a big part of what I do as a lawmaker?
2: There are were a variety of factors that went into my interest and you know I went to school on a basketball scholarship and I was dreaming of playing in the NBA. It was a ridiculous idea because (laughs) I was uh, too small and I made up for it by being really slow. So I was able to come to Oregon for law school and was right in the middle of Tom McCall and his service To Oregon and it was kind of like I felt I'd come to this special place and Tom McCall made us all feel like being outdoors was in our DNA and I don't know if you've seen some of the great pictures and I held up the book about him Mm -hmm. on the floor of the Senate he'd be in some fabulous stream or something throwing a rod and it just kind of embodied for me what Oregon was all about and what made Oregon so special. Also, around that time I had a bunch of friends in law school and we would always go out on Mackenzie, mm-hmm. which was beautiful, you know, river not far from, you know, our, our law school. And it just kind of again seemed to sort of be a snapshot of what
0: Oregon was all about. So let's talk a little bit about the Oregon Wildlands Act. You've been getting working to get some of these places like Devil's Staircase across the finish line for a long time. I can remember writing stories about it going back to 2009. You know, what makes it difficult to pass this kind of legislation at this this time and age to get a place like Devil's Staircase well, here's, across the here's finish the, line? Here's the history.
2: when. I got to the Senate, I was able to get on the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. And I've always stayed there because I think that's the Oregon Committee mm-hmm. in a state where um, the federal government owns more than half of our land. And in the 2009 bill that Barack Obama mm-hmm. um, signed, I was able to get something like seven pieces of legislation in there. We can get them all mm-hmm. all to you, Mount Hood, Lewis yeah. and Clark, Wilderness, yeah. Copper Salmon, Badlands, Siskiyou. And I just said, I've got to use this seat to pick up on the tradition of Tom McCall. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is why I have had the opportunity to be in public service is to build on what some of the Oregon greats are. And like I said on the floor, Tom McCall was a Republican mm-hmm. and he appreciated volunteers. And he and I agreed on you know a lot of different things. And um, when I became chairman, Um, which was later after the 2009 um, bill, I said, well, let's see what we can do to put together another bill. I wasn't chairman very, very long. And as we looked at the prospects for the next one, and we thought, boy, this is going to be slow going with um, some of the politics that, you know, had had changed, we were struck by the fact that um, in 2017 in particular, there was another kind of, you know, window here to try to move something. I talked to Senator Murkowski and Maria Kentwell particularly in the Senate, and Rob Bishop and I had become uh, good friends. Rob Bishop would probably tell you he's one of the most conservative members mm-hmm. of the House, but when I became chairman of the Energy Committee, he came to see me. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like we've been through a lot together. And uh, I said, I think we got a really good shot at another, you know, another major bill. And I think Adding 250 miles of wild and, you know, wild and scenic um, rivers now puts us in the number one spot on my watch Mm -hmm. um, in the contiguous, you know, 48. Uh, Obviously, Devil's Staircase is a fabulous, you know, addition. Banning uh, mining in the Chetco is pretty great. The Frank and Jeannie Moore area where you can't do development without being sensitive to fish, I think, is going
0: to be... Very important. I wanted to ask you a little bit about double staircase too. Yeah. I mean, that that's come so close to getting across the finish line going back to the yeah. 80s. Um, what made you kind of fight to make sure it was, that was included in this bill? Because there's there's definitely some resistance to new wilderness areas. Um, you know, a lot of people worried about them becoming well, places for wildfire and stuff let's like. Let's talk that. about this bill very specifically
2: because yeah. you wrote about it,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you wrote about the battle. I mean, this. Public lands bills related to the Oregon provisions almost blew up four or five times, yeah. and it was because of special interests, and those that support them kept, you know trying to say, "Oh, we don't want to have these wilderness areas. oh, we're going to have more fires as a result of you know of all this. And basically, what I did was go above them and I went to the chairs. I went to Senator Murkowski and Senator Cantwell and Chairman Bishop and Congressman Rojalva. And because I think I had these relationships, you know, with them, I was basically able to go above the special interests and the, the voices that were, you know, opposing
0: that kind of, kind of package, and that's how we prevailed. Yeah. Um, you have authored a lot of bills that add wild and scenic rivers protection to a lot of streams. Do you have a great connection? Does it stem from the Mackenzie? Um, you know, why the focus well, on the wild I, and scenic rivers? Well, first of all, now. I think it is a real
2: boon to the recreational economy. Mm -hmm. You know, when you talk about rural Oregon, there is no one kind of silver strand that is going to take care of all the, you know, all the economic needs. Wild and scenic rivers are really a a magnet Mm -hmm. for the recreational economy and people will always come and tell you about this place where they went for salmon and steelhead I mean yesterday in Medford, you know that's really the rogue tributary so it's talking about fish habitat Mm -hmm. you know for uh, for the rogue but you know people say this is what makes Oregon so so special and don't let um, anybody take it away from us I mean one of the questions I got yesterday get it everywhere is you know are you gonna fight privatization Mm and trying to take uh, take away some of these treasures and point i always make is if somebody in politics makes a mistake on a bill or an amendment you usually go back and fix it and all the rest if somebody messes with your special places you don't get them back Mm -hmm. it's one shot you make a big mistake there and you've lost that that treasure and it's not going to happen on my watch
0: Do you believe that wilderness, and especially large wilderness areas, still have a good place? Because there's some backlash to, you know, some large wildfires have started down in the Calmeopsis. And people have used that as a way to say, you know, wilderness isn't a great idea. We need more management. We need more roads. So what would be uh, your response to that? My approach has always been, look, I'm for multiple
2: use where it is a relevant principle. But there are certain treasures that we want to make sure are going to be there not just for this month or next month, but for our kids and our kids and our grandkids. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that uh, being for wilderness areas in some really special places is incompatible with saying that, you know, a big chunk of, uh, of the land the federal government owns in Oregon can also be multiple use.
0: Alright, now we're going to take a deep dive into the Devil's Staircase Wilderness, a remote patch of old-growth rainforest that hides a mythic waterfall. It's located just inland of Reedsport, maybe 25 miles from the Oregon coast. To help us get the lay of the land and understand the area's unique history, I'm joined today by Josh Lachlan, Executive Director of Cascadia Wildlands, and Andy Stahl, Executive Director of Forest Service Employees for Environmental Ethics. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining me. Our pleasure. Thanks, thanks for having us. Josh, how would you describe the, the 30,000 acres here? So what makes the area stick out compared to other places, especially in the coast range? Sure. Well, if you
3: go up a couple thousand feet in elevation, say in an airplane or a Google Earth Earth view, Uh, It really stands out like a sore thumb when you look at the rest of the Oregon Coast Range, which has been heavily fragmented for uh, about the last 100 years. And really what you see at this, at the the, really the confluence of the lower Umpqua River and the lower Smith River Mm -hmm. is this unroded texture from up above that stands out again like a sore thumb when you look at the surrounding landscape. And what that difference in texture is, is just a primeval rainforest uh, that exists now like it did hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It's got centuries-old rainforest in it, head-high ferns, uh, water gushing in every gully uh, most months of the year, except for the uh, real dry months. And uh, it's, a, it's a bastion for uh, imperiled wildlife and salmon and truly uh, represents a remnant slice
0: of the Oregon coast range, you know, that it did hundreds of years ago. And give me a, a visual. When, when you're off in that, you know, dense primeval forest, what are you looking at? A lot of brush yeah. and thicket and
3: down logs and if you're lucky and when you're looking down you might see a 12 inch long giant pacific salamander uh, crawling along the forest floor you may hear the hoot of a northern spotted owl Uh, if you're there at the right time of the year say may through uh, august in the wee hours you may hear the cure of an imperiled marble merlet that's come in from the pacific ocean to nest in the coastal old growth forest found in devil's staircase uh, you really just have to open yourself up and to really experience the place from the sights to the smells to the feelings and
0: also the visuals like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Cool. Anything from you, Andy, that, uh, you know, sticks
4: out as far as visually? It's as wild as wild can get. My, my, my impression, what I always take back from that area is green. Yeah. Everywhere is green. The forest floor is green. The, the vine maple and the salmonberry and the huckleberry, it, it's all green. Uh, the understory trees coming up, the uh, grand fir, the Douglas fir, green, the cedars, everything is green there. Every shade of green. <laughs> Every shade of green, absolutely. <laughs> Let me ask you about the waterfall itself. It's
0: way, way out there. And we're going to talk about how it's so far out there was basically a wilderness myth for a long time. But for right now, Andy, can you kind of describe the Devil's Staircase?
4: Like what it actually looks like and what you'll find down there at the bottom of the canyon? Well, here's one of the problems that actually uh, 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 mystifies many visitors. Mm -hmm. There are two waterfalls. Okay. And the first of them, and the easier to find is appropriately called folly falls. (laughs) Because it's a folly if you think that's the real thing. Yeah. And it's pretty nice. Mm -hmm. But it's not the Devil's Staircase. Mm -hmm. Their their Devil's Staircase itself is just flat out spectacular. And uh, one of the coolest things about it, it's got these huge uh, pools in it Mm -hmm. that have been scoured over the eons in the sandstone. Mm -hmm. And so you can have hot tub parties. Yeah.
0: And it's a really unique waterfall, too. It's not like your classic, like, big plunge. It's kind of this this many-tiered waterfall. It's,
4: it is a staircase. Yeah. Um, and uh, each step is five, six feet wide mm-hmm. and several feet high. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- during the winter, mm-hmm. um, it's a heavy flow. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, some very experienced kayakers have kayaked the whole length of it, mm-hmm. uh, and that's an experience in itself yeah. that it will probably kill most people. <laughs> um, but the time to see it is when it's not pouring down rain and when the river ru- isn't running at high flood. Mm-hmm. And and then the the waterfall is very prosaic. Mm-hmm. It's it's not spectacular in the sense of a lot of water. Mm-hmm but it's gorgeous. Yeah,
0: This is kind of a a funny question that I know people grapple with. How do you go about actually exploring this area and reaching this namesake waterfall? Because one thing is the striking lack of access uh, compared to just about most other places in Oregon. At least there's some kind of access, but there's no trails here. It just seems like there's bushwhacking routes. So let me, let me phrase it this way. If you started out from Eugene, like what's the process of actually getting out
4: there if you do want to take your chances here? You know, I'm going to answer that this way. If you can't figure out how to do it yourself, (laughs) don't. Yeah. This place is too dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's too wild. It's too remote. And, um, and we're not in the business of making it easy because mm-hmm. there's nothing about it that's easy at all. Mm-hmm. So unless you can do it yourself, figure that out. Unless you are very skilled, just don't even try.
3: Yeah. When the campaign to permanently protect it was heating up, or at least the most recent iteration, mm-hmm. say in 2007, 2008, uh, we're leading lots of public hikes down there to showcase it off to – uh, the American public and interested parties, those that, that cherish uh, wild country and protected landscapes, and uh, it started to get some recognition in the local press and, and media outlets and so forth. And people, um, understandably so, you know, wanted to you know put a notch in the belt and find the staircase, and they were going out. Uh, to search for this mysterious waterfall, not quite knowing what they were getting into. And uh, the Cascadia Wildlands office all of a sudden became the calling house for the Douglas County Sheriff's office, (laughs) you know, asking us, you know, how do we get in there? We've gotten calls from spouses of, you know, lost hikers, and we need your help to get them out and find them. How do we drive down to the staircase? Yeah you know, even the sheriff's office didn't realize that this is a massive unroaded area and told them, you know, hopefully they'll, you know, they've, planned well enough to spend an unplanned night in the woods and they'll get out alive. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, that's been the case thus far. Nobody's been critically injured or, or you know, met their match down there. But Andy's right. It's, uh, it's not a place for everyone to go hike. Mm-hmm. And that's really the beauty of the, the, the landscape down there. There's not a lot of places like this
0: left uh, in the country. And to even, to, to just put a, a a picture to it, I mean, I remember when I went out there, we, basically I just followed you. You know, we headed off on, you know, remote Forest Service roads, and then all of a sudden we stopped, and then it was basically bushwhacking at that point. Maybe a few game trails here, but nothing you could navigate by. You were just, you were just down in there, and that was it.
4: It it's, can even be worse than that in a sense, and that is that, it's as if the landscape wants to send get you lost, <laughs> because oftentimes the course of less resistance is the wrong way,
0: yeah, so how do you how do you describe it to people? i mean when when you get those phone calls? We encourage people to to join us on a guided
3: hike. um We discourage people from going to try and find the staircase themselves uh, because we want to try and avoid. Uh, those kind of scenarios where they're lost for the night and loved ones are looking for them. Uh, So occasionally we'll plan guided hikes with uh, some of our expert backcountry guides that take people down there. Uh, It's oftentimes not to the staircase. There's other parts of this proposed 30,500-acre wilderness uh, that we've discovered and located and found these multi-centuries-old dug fir groves uh, to showcase and so there's all different little pockets that have become hotspots in the area for people to see. So there's mm-hmm. uh, certainly um, ways to access the proposed wilderness that aren't this life challenging, mm-hmm. uh, life threatening on your hands and knees through devil's club and uh, rhododendron thickets. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a couple of different areas that uh, we've we've pioneered into the area.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you, did you get a sense of the story of, of why this was either missed or, or wasn't logged or didn't become part of that grid system? What, what's going on there?
4: Well, we actually have to credit um, generations of Forest Service rangers mm-hmm. for this place still being unlogged. Um, it was withdrawn by the foresters from the timber harvest base mm-hmm. in the 1960s. Wow because it was just too steep, Mm -hmm. too erosive, too prone to landslides. Uh, Then, under pressure from the timber industry, it was put back into the timber base, Mm -hmm. briefly. And some logging was attempted Mm -hmm. on the edges. But then in the 1980s, lawsuits over that logging Mm -hmm. and over the landslides withdrew it again from the timber base. And now for the last generation, it's been um, enjoyed protection uh, for its old growth forests, mm-hmm. for its salmon, and, um, and it hasn't been eligible for logging now for about 30 years. Gotcha.
3: And one thing that's important to recognize, those protections that Andy mentioned uh, have just been administrative protections. They've, the area has never received uh, the permanent protection for federal public land that only Congress can allocate for an, an area, and that's through the the Wilderness Act, mm-hmm. you know, the, the bedrock 1964 statute. And that's what uh, Congress is working toward now.
0: Yeah. All right. So, Josh, we, we've talked about this a little bit in the past uh, during reporting stuff. I mean, but, but let me bring this up again because this is something people are going to be wondering about, especially if this legislation does go through and get passed. So say it passes Congress, gets signed into law. Now it's on the map, and I suspect even more people want to go there because Devil's Staircase, look, that's a good name. Um, what happens next? How do you How do you manage it? Is it a trail to Devil's Staircase? Is it a trail somewhere else? Um, how, how do people like – what would you like to see happen as somebody who's been there for a long time? Sure. It's a great
3: question uh, and one that, you know, requires a lot of thought and uh, careful planning because, you know, what we've seen and we're – uh, experiencing in other uh, Forest Service administrative units around the West and here in Oregon is um, nature getting loved to death, mm-hmm. and that's obviously the last thing you want to do. You ha- you've built up this. Um, appreciation for for such an amazing place, and then it gets trampled, and the firings get built, and the beer bottles get smashed. And um, it's, it, you know, the party's over at that point. So it's our hope that uh, the agencies uh, that oversee this area, the Forest Service and the BLM, um, put a lot of foresight into that to ensure the area doesn't get loved to death. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something unique about the Devil's Staircase, there's a reason it has never been logged in the in an otherwise most productive timber-growing country in the world. It's because it's so steep, so remote, so inaccessible, uh, and there's there is a beauty in that as well. So, uh, and of course, you know, if if you look at the language of the 1964 um, Wilderness Act, you know, it's it's not all about designating it for human benefit. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you look at the language, it's a, it talks about humans being uh, visitors.
0: Well, what do you think, Andy? I mean, would you, how would you feel if the Forest Service said, look, we're going to create a devil's staircase trail from trailhead straight down to the waterfall? A lot of people, every a lot of Portland hikers are going to want that kind of thing.
4: Yeah, well, I'd be confident of two things. Uh, one, the Forest Service will never say that. Okay. And second, even if the Forest Service did, there wouldn't be the money to build such a trail. Mm-hmm. And third, even if there was the money to build it, that trail would not withstand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is too steep. Mm-hmm. It is too remote. It is too hard to maintain. That trail would erode away within a couple of years. Gotcha.
0: So what's the best way to go about, you know, just especially, you know, if this does get final passage, I mean, it's already got plenty of media attention. It's out there in the lexicon. It'll get another boost. Um, you know, how, what do we do? Just leave it the way it's well, if, been for a long time or? There's wilderness areas are managed
3: differently um, based on their location, proximity, geography, popularity, so forth. I mean, if if you look at the Cummins Creek Wilderness, mm-hmm. just south of Yaha, it's north of Florence. Um, you know, it's it's managed as a very primitive wilderness area. There's not a there's an old road that goes through there that largely handles the traffic. There's no major trail to the headwaters of uh, the wilderness area and to the headwaters of Cummins Creek, and I think that's for a reason. It's oh. a, it's managed in a primitive fashion. That's because of the landscape there and um, the inaccessibility. And I think there'll be a lot of foresight put into that kind of thing when trying to figure out how to best manage Devil's Staircase.
4: What a wilderness designation at Devil's Staircase will assure is that actually nothing changes.
0: Yeah. That's the the idea. Yeah. All right, I teased this a little bit at the beginning, but Andy, you have a great story about one of the early adventures to Devil's Staircase, back when it is really just a wilderness myth, a place that people told rumors about but few people had actually seen. So it starts at Oregon State, right? So can you tell that
4: story real quick? The uh, group of students at Oregon State University decided that they would find Mm -hmm. the Double Staircase Waterfall. And for years, they led uh, weekend trips into the area, getting lost every time. (laughs) And uh, sometimes having to spend the night unexpectedly in the woods, ill-prepared Uh, clamoring over vine maple, through ravines, gullies, being uh, 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 attacked by uh, uh, bears and what have you. And the stories just kept getting bigger and bigger and more outrageous. And they never found it. Yeah, they never
0: did. Where did, the, where did the myth come from? Was it just like rumors that spread across friends?
4: Or? They all thought mm-hmm. that, that there must be this spectacular waterfall. And, and it turns out, of course, that really old timers yeah. uh, had actually been there, yeah. but never publicized it. Yeah. And, uh, and it takes a major commitment yeah. to get there, as, as I found out in the early 1980s. So, so tell me what about about your adventure. Tell me about how you did it. Well, I I decided, uh, my wife and I then, um, decided that we should leave nothing to chance this time. Uh Rather than trying to go cross-country, we would start where the creek starts Mm -hmm. at its headwaters and just hike the length of the creek because somewhere along there, there had to be the waterfall. Yeah. And we had no idea. Uh, there's no trail. Mm-hmm. Um, we had tennis shoes, a walking stick, uh, backpacks, and we just set off down the creek during late summer, low low flow, mm-hmm. not knowing what to expect or how long it would take or how we would cross the Smith River at the other end <laughs> when we got to <laughs> the end of it even. Did you know much about the area being
0: like a total blank spot on the map at that point? Or was it just like... We did, didn't even have a map.
4: Yeah. I mean, and and there's really no sense in having a map. Yeah.
0: Wanted to end with this. You've both been working towards this for for quite a while, um, if
4: it does pass. So how do you feel? Well, for myself, it it may mark the end of my career. Who knows? (laughs) I've been, um, uh, through one means or another, trying to reserve the option of Devil's Staircase becoming protected forever uh, since the early 1980s. Yeah. Um, so, I, I will feel like it was a long haul, uh, well worth it, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I hope that people enjoy the idea that it's there, and um, I hope that very few people ever see it.
0: All right, in the next segment, we are going to talk about the 250 miles of rivers that would be protected under the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act across Oregon. That would give Oregon the most wild and scenic river miles in the lower 48 states. To help us break down what that actually means, we're joined by Kyle Smith, Oregon Field Coordinator for Trout Unlimited. Hey, Kyle, thanks for being here.
5: Thanks for having me, Zach.
0: All right, so let's start here. On a really basic level, what does it mean when a river is protected by the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act? And how does that make it different from you know, a different stream in Oregon.
5: Sure. So I was thinking about this uh, when I got these questions and I think the best way that I came up with to think about the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act is kind of like a hall of fame for rivers. Sure. So the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act was created in 1968 under President Lyndon Baines Johnson. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the rivers that are protected in Oregon, it really is kind of a who's who list of outstanding fisheries and rivers that people love to paddle and fish. Mm-hmm. The North Umpqua, the McKenzie, the Metolius, the Owyhee, the Rogue, the Deschutes, and on and on. Yeah. Um so I think that that's a good way to think about it. The, this designation under the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act shines a spotlight on a river and lets people mm-hmm. in the community, both local and national, know that hey there's there's remarkable va- values here that you should go check out.
0: Okay. So they're they're in the Hall of Fame and that makes that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um because Oregon has a lot of great rivers and you're right this you know we have quite a few river miles of wild and, and scenic designated ones. But what does it actually mean like you know, I know there's a corridor, that, like there's, uh, there's some limits on development in there. Um, can, can you talk through that a little bit?
5: Sure. So I think the, the most important part on the ground, that there's free, free flowing in that description, so no dams. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're looking at rivers that are, that are free flowing in their natural condition, um, but the, the corridor itself is protected from activities that might degrade those outstanding values. Yeah. So logging is kept to a minimum, um, no hydropower, of course. Uh, in-stream mining, anything really that could degrade those outstanding and remarkable values, whatever they are, would be prohibited under this act.
0: Yeah. So I think it's a good way of looking at it At it as it keeps the river looking the way that the river looks at that given moment, sure. meaning like it it preserves it the way that we enjoy it at that moment when it's protected.
5: Indeed. So and it's, I think it extends further beyond just the appearance as well. From an angling perspective, um, I think you know, that, that immediate buffer around a river, which river geeks call the riparian corridor, Mm -hmm. um, is essential for the function of a river to, to act the way that it's supposed to. So, um, there's a number of things that, that occur in that riparian corridor that are, that are really important for fish. So, um, the trees that are in that riparian corridor provide shade, Mm -hmm. which is becoming more and more important in Oregon as temperatures rise, um, keeping rivers cool in the summer. We need that shade for that to occur. Um, provide excellent insect habitat. So, you know, fish live on insects. So you got to mm-hmm. have insects growing. And a lot of times they'll grow in trees near a river. Mm-hmm. Um, and then further, you know, the older those trees get, they get big, they fall into the river. That, what fish geeks call large woody debris or LWD, is essential for fish habitat. So I
0: didn't know there was a synonym for <laughs> rivers that fell or trees that fell in the river. Yeah. That's nice. I yeah. like that.
5: River geeks have all kinds of stuff like that.
0: How, how would this make the experience of the Malala different? Um... You know, that's that's a stream that's pretty close to, to urban areas. It's it's kind of a cool area. So what is, what is protecting that under this under this mean for the Malala?
5: Yeah, so if you've been to the Malala, it's beautiful. I mean, you know, exceptional river. Um, the part of the Malala that this designates as wild and scenic is all in public land, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not going to see any change. And I think that's what's beautiful about this act is that it just ensures that a beautiful system like the Malala remains beautiful for for our generation and for future generations. Designating these wild and scenic rivers ensures that those values will persist into the future. And you won't have clear cuts going down to the the riverbank or, you know, a dam being put up to, to change the way the entire system functions.
0: Are there any other rivers that really stick out that are included in this act that you'd want to highlight or recommend people
5: see? <laughs> Ask me to give away all my secrets here, Zach. <laughs> um, you know, I think Elk River is a special place sure. in my heart. Uh, on the south, southern Oregon coast, it's just the most pristine. If you look at a, a, a satellite image of Oregon, It's really easy to pick out the Elk River watershed because it's the darkest green on the entire map. Uh And the whole north side of Elk River watershed is protected by two different wilderness areas, Uh the grassy knob and the copper salmon wilderness area. Um, but the whole south side of the river to this point um, has remained undesignated as any sort of uh, special protection. So Oregon Wildlands Act would extend some some new protections for Elk River and, and just help ensure that it stays the gem that it is.
0: Yeah, the Elk River is fantastic. Do you, what do you do down there? Have you gone down there to, to fish or have you, you paddled it or what have you done down there? Just
5: finding solace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, never done any mu- much paddling. I've got good friends that, that paddle down there. Tim yeah. Palmer, who I'm sure mm-hmm. you've <laughs> interacted with quite a bit. Um, and his his partner Ann, um, but I mostly go down there for fishing. Yeah, uh, the Elk River is the the first to clear. You know, so anglers during the winter for for fall chinook and winter steelhead season, we were very dependent on the weather. Mm-hmm. So if you get a big system pushes in, rains a lot, usually a lot of rivers will come up. They turn chocolate brown. There's no fishing that's happening when rivers look like that. But Elk River is the first first one to clear, probably in the whole state. Um, and that's because it's such an intact system. You've got all those trees pulling pollutants and sediment out and holding the, the river banks, um, steady mm-hmm. and, and keeping those, those, uh, sediments from getting into the river.
0: What do you fish there primarily?
5: Uh, it's a fall Chinook fishery, mostly yeah. it's a late fall Chinook. Um, yeah, you can fish right there, watch them come in on the waves and catch them with a the fly rod right there at your feet. So
0: uh-huh. Do you ever remarkable. get into the, into the upper river at all and do any fishing up there?
5: uh I, I could tell you about that but i'd have to kill you
0: <laughs> well i've been, i've been down to the elk river so i mean i i understand your enthusiasm for it i mean paint paint me a picture of it because it's really i mean it's almost like a landscape painting come to life um
5: indeed yeah you know pristine clear pools you can, there's a, a road that goes along Elk River, excellent biking, road biking. Mm-hmm. It's a, I think a designated bike bikeway, um, but it gives you a good perspective down into the river as well. Yeah. So if you get over the river, there's, you know, 30 foot pools that you can see the bottom, you know, in crystalline clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a remarkable place, uh, tall doug fir. There's a um, Port Orford cedar, which is a, an endemic species of cedar that you can really only find there yeah. on the Southern Oregon coast. Um, just a really special place that uh, nobody should ever go to. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can blame
0: Wyden for this one, not me. I mean, he's the he's the one that put it in legislation. So, um, okay. So there's one other thing I wanted to to make sure that I got to uh, a, a smaller part of the legislation is the Frank and Genie Moore Wild Steelhead Sanctuary Management Act. That's a mouthful. Sorry about that. I'm not a pro. Um, so this is down in the North Umqua area. Uh, can you explain
5: kind of what we're what, what, sure. what's going on here? So the the Frank and Jeannie Moore Special Management Area Designation Act (laughs) is a mouthful. Uh, But it's uh, just under 100,000 acres on Steamboat Creek. Um, Anybody that's fly fished uh, in Oregon or really around the world knows the North Umpqua River. It's Mm -hmm. world famous. Um, Steamboat Creek is the major spawning tributary of the North Umpqua. So if you go down there in the summer, there's a couple places where you can view um, summer steelhead that are staging. They come in during summer months when flows are really low. Um, and they'll find deep pools on Steamboat Creek and wait for rains to come, fall mm-hmm. rains, before they can shoot up into the tributaries and spawn, and um, you know, give life to the next generation of steelhead. It would largely, you know, from an on-the-ground perspective, it largely just kind of cements the protections of the Northwest Forest Plan.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, it prioritizes management actions to the benefit of salmon and steelhead. Okay. So really, uh, we're just locking in the, the current protections on Steamboat Creek.
0: All right. Well, thanks for taking some time.
5: Thank you very much for having
1: me. That's about all the time we have for today on the Explore Oregon podcast. Thanks for joining us. And if you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and maybe even tell your friends. You can find previous episodes at statesmanjournal.com slash explore and in the Apple iTunes store or Google Play. Thanks for listening.